1: Greenie with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
2: Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance on a full-scale football Friday ahead of a huge weekend. The college games tomorrow are unreal. Maybe the best college Saturday we'll get all season. Some fascinating matchups in the NFL on Sunday, and the week began last night with one that was predictable, but also telling, and that's where we begin. Here we go!
3: Only one place to start. Birdie gonna throw one deep
2: wide for Depot. Made the catch on the back shoulder. Touchdown, San Francisco. This is
4: a complete football team, and they're only going to get better.
2: All right, the Niners win, and they cover against the Giants in a Thursday night game that we all saw coming. We talked about it yesterday. I don't know how the line. Was only ten and a half points last night. We said we would have needed two touchdowns, and the Niners would have even covered that. Graziano and Tannenbaum, good enough to hang out after we wrap up. Get up this morning sounds sort of like a law firm, right? Like if you if you're in an accident, call Graziano and Tannenbaum and see if uh, they can be of help to you. So I, I want to dive right right directly into this game. There's a million things to get to: the Justin Fields thing, and Belichick versus Zach, and everything else. But I want to start with both end, ends of last night's game. Let's start with the Giants part of this. Because, Mike Tannenbaum, you came out firing in our meeting this morning and you brought it directly on the TV with Get Up. You made this very much about the quarterback. Yeah, at $40 million a year, you expect him to elevate the play around,
4: of those around you because in a cap system, that's a lot of your allocation and it's not good enough the way he's playing. And if you don't think he can take you to where you want to go, don't pay him $40 million. Keep looking, because if you are chasing greatness with Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, and trying to win in the NFC, and you don't think Daniel Jones can do that, like last night was the reason you signed him. I believe if we're going to pay a guy $40 million a year, you have to go on the road with no left tackle, no running back, no left guard,
2: and find a way to win. And if you don't believe that, Take your $40 million and invest it someplace else. If not win, then at least maybe have more than 150 yards of offense as of what they had last night. Graziano, what do you think of that?
3: Yeah, I I think it's a team that kind of – one of the important things is to know what kind of team you are and what kind of team you're not. And I think the Giants perceive themselves as still sort of putting something together, Right around Daniel Jones. So, yes, they made the playoffs last year, but I I don't think they felt like that means they're all the way there. They know what they still have to do on the roster. And they did a contract with Daniel Jones that – that kept him happy but doesn't destroy them for the next couple of years on the cap. First of all, they can get out of it after 2024 if they want. And if they don't, then his, his 2025 and 26 numbers are not going to cost them uh, in the grand scheme of things very much. It's going to keep them from, from adding more players that they want. So I, I see your point. And if you don't believe Daniel Jones is that quarterback— then sure, absolutely. But they came out of last year believing he was because of what he showed them under adverse circumstances, and they felt like they were going to continue to confront those as they put their roster together, and they felt like, look, it's been rough. Like, if you stack up two of the first three games against Dallas and San Francisco, one of them's on a short week. Like, I, there aren't a lot of teams that are going to come through that and look any good, and the Giants, you know, obviously are not on the level of those teams yet. But,
4: but that the
3: fundamental question, then why'd you pay him?
4: Right? If you don't believe that he could go on the road and carry t-
3: why would you pay him?
2: Well, I mean, I, I guess the answer, if I'm trying to guess the answer, is that... It's better to have a decent quarterback than to have no quarterback at all. And maybe $40 million, as much money as it sounds like, is the going rate for a decent quarterback. If, if, you, if you don't have Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or someone like that, right. you still have to have someone. And the alternative might have been a lot worse.
3: I think Mike's point is that's a trap, right? Like right. if you start falling into the, you know, is he good enough? So that's why I think what they did was, you know, under the circumstance, if they looked at the rest of the quarterback landscape, what they were going to be able to get, where they were picking in the draft, all that, they felt like, well, if we do this deal and we project out for the next, whatever, three, four years... We can still accomplish X, Y, and Z on our roster uh, around a guy that we do have some level of belief in. And we're not committing to him beyond, really, if you look at the structure of the contract, it's a two year commitment. So if he doesn't justify their belief in him, they can move on at that point.
4: Look, I know it was only one game, but like a microcosm of this is go back last week. Would I rather have Daniel Jones than Josh Dobbs? Absolutely. Is he 40 times better? I don't think so. And that's like. When you're running a team, those are the things you have to look at. Like, Javon Hargrave is a difference maker, and San Francisco's obviously very lucky that Purdy's on his rookie deal. But if I'm the Giants and know that I need a number of pieces, I have to understand that if I'm going to allocate so much that he, at some point, has to carry the team in some spots.
3: So what should they have done? Like, go back to March, right, and the Giants coming off the year, they like, what was the right way for them to go at quarterback
4: get saquon Bar- barkley signed he's your best player he's your best person let daniel go- jones go to the market and maybe there's a deal there 20 25 million dollars a year force another team to say hey i'm gonna make him an upper level quarterback which again look the market has gone up with jalen hurts herbert and obviously now patrick mahomes but at the time daniel jones was i think like the fifth or sixth highest paid quarterback, and I don't think anybody else would have done that.
2: Here's the problem with that. I understand what you're saying, Greeny and Tannebaum and Graziano. The problem with that is that you get your deal done with Saquon Barkley, which I think he deserves based upon what a good player he is and what a good person he is, but... The exact illustration of why teams don't want to do it is the fact that here we are, week three, and he's not he playing, playing. And who knows when he's going to play again? And listen, the fact that he didn't get a contract suggests to me what rush is he in to come back? If I'm Saquon Barkley, he, he was making it very clear to Amazon last night. I have a high ankle sprain. Don't listen to what anybody else is saying. I don't think you should expect to see him back anytime soon.
3: I think I think you know we're looking at a couple of more weeks there. I mean, I know Dave tried to get cagey early in the week, so I haven't even ruled. Really- him out for Thursday, as if there was any chance at all the Giants were going to run a, cor- a running back out there on four days rest with a sprained ankle. That was never going to happen, but I, I don't, you know, they have 11 days till their next game. He can talk about getting ready for that. Sounds more likely that it'll be another game or two uh, with him, but that's the problem, right? Like, what, what Mike T is advocating for is you should have paid the running back and then sort of taken your chances on the quarterback market. I just don't know that there are teams that that feel like that's the right way to go right now, given how replaceable running back production has shown to be and how difficult it's been to find quarterbacks. Yeah, look, we've
4: debated running back salaries now for for months. What I would say is they're not all created equal. And when you talk to coaches who are defending the Giants – Job number one is stopping Saquon in the passing game. So sure. I, I see him differently. It's a little bit why Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs were in the first round. It's what they could do in the passing game. You know, the other thing, just going back, what could the Giants have done? They could have paid Saquon. And again, greedy, fair point. He's already hurt. But you could have also franchised Daniel Jones and taken it one year at a time. Something that, you know, they didn't have to do
2: the extension. What was the number for him? What was the quarterback number for the franchise again? We, we talked something? about this every day, and now i forgot. it 32,
3: 35, something, something like it's,
2: that. It's not that much less than what they're paying. And hey,
3: one way or another. But their cap number on him this year is 15. If they franchised him, the cap it's number would have been it. 30. Right, yeah.
2: yeah. So, so look, I mean, it, it's I understand why they did what they did, and we'll see. I, I think, Graziano, you make a good point. A lot of quarterbacks are going to look bad if they play Dallas and San Francisco in, you know, in a span of 10 days. Let's see what ones up happening. Uh, This is Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Uh, Brock Purdy was certainly in the zone last night. He threw for 310 yards in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone with AutoZone. Let's look at that side of it. San Francisco looks sensational. Mm -hmm. Their defense is dominant. Their offense is diverse. They're playing without IUC last night. Christian McCaffrey has scored a touchdown in an almost unbelievable 12 consecutive games. And the Cowboys lose Trayvon Diggs, who is their second best known defensive player after Parsons, and sure. it might be their second best uh, defensive player. He's out for the season with a, an ACL that he suffered in practice, which is just heartbreaking. So, how does that, in your view, Graziano, impact the top of the food chain in the NFC? I think if you if you liked the Niners better than the Cowboys, then your opinion is
3: strengthened. By this, if you like the Cowboys better than the Niners, you could probably talk yourself into holding on to that by saying they have depth on defense and they, and they have enough good players up front to overcome it. I'm, I'm more likely in the second uh, category in terms of feeling like the impact on Dallas' season. I think, I think it'll have one. There's no question about it. But in, in order to figure out how this affects the Cowboys versus the 49ers in terms of, you know, are they the best team in the NFC? you have to tell me what the big injury problem the 49ers are inevitably going to confront is and how does it compare to Trevon Diggs uh, and the Cowboys because what's happened to the Cowboys is something that will happen to literally every team in the league on some level at this point this season and the season can often come down to how good your your backup cornerbacks are, how good your backup offensive linemen are and that's where the Cowboys are right now, confronting that. What do you think of that, Mike?
4: Uh, Relatively the same, except I would say this. Where they're really going to miss him is he could turn the ball over. He has rare ball skills at, you know, initially he was a wide receiver going back to Alabama and he plays that way. But the pass rush they have is so dominant and so difference-making that they could certainly make up and and Dan Manchin, Deron Bland, who, for example, had five interceptions last year. Jordan Lewis is more of a slot. They traded for Noah Inogamy. They do have some depth back there and Stephon Gilmore, obviously they're going to have to expect a lot more out of him. So I don't think this is going to, It's going to hurt them, but it's not catastrophic because, again, I think the pass rush will make up for it.
3: Yeah, and I think when you talk about turnovers and what Diggs brings in that department, like if you go through the 17-game season, I think the Cowboys will win a lot of games regardless. But I think that's a key point. Like turnovers were the difference in their playoff game against San Francisco last year, right? So that may be when it shows up. Do you need your big playmaker to make a big play in a big game, like the biggest game of the season? And that may be, but I I still like their chances of, of getting to
2: the point where they're playing those games. Greeney with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit progressive.com. So, if we're looking at that, uh, we're going to make a point a little bit later in the show today that maybe the NFC is starting to shape up to be a little more of what we thought the AFC was going to be. If you could, if the Eagles are going to be a really good team this year, which I think we all think they are, mm-hmm. they have not—they've been underwhelming in two wins, mm-hmm. which is a lovely problem to have. Um, then couldn't one make an argument the three best teams in football right now all play in the NFC? Are those the three best teams in the sport? Who from the AFC is crashing that party? Is it still Kansas City? I mean, is it yeah, Miami?
3: Right. I mean, how can you rule out the Chiefs? I mean, they they had a rough opener without their anybody. second and third best players. Like, I think that's still we're talking about two game sample. Like, I mean, are you putting the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ahead of all those AFC teams we loved? 3 weeks ago like
2: I I don't I don't I don't see well, I guess see what it. I'm asking is are we putting those 3 teams at the top of the league if you're doing your NFL power rankings right now would those 3 teams be in some order 1 2 and 3 uh, what
3: are we basing it on how it's looked so far yes
2: now how good do you yes, think they are I they mean, would
3: be right i would put the well the cowboys and the 49ers i think have looked as good as anybody and i would put the dolphins in there ahead of the
2: eagles right now based on the first Two weeks, or two weeks plus right. of this season. And I think the Dolphins will be that good. If you told me the quarterback will be standing at the end of the season, I will take the Dolphins to make it to the Super Bowl. That, that, that would be my pick. I would. You know, I think they're that good. You know what's impressive about Miami? Like this
4: week is their home opener. They've won two games on the road. They're playing Denver, who has two losses both at home. Now, what will be interesting to, if Jalen Waddell doesn't play, how much that's going to impact You know the coverages. Obviously, with Tyreek Hill probably getting double teamed on every play. The one I would put Kansas City up there for this reason, Greeny. I was shocked how well Chris Jones played. He was oh, dominant man. against Jacksonville. We all thought Jacksonville was going to be really good. Yeah. He was the difference maker in that game. Yep. So, if healthy, and to Graz's point, of course, we're going to see more injuries. But i will it's hard to bet against Kansas City just knowing how young they are in their secondary. They won the Super Bowl
2: last year. I think they're going to be better on defense. And then finally, a quick thought from Graziano, because I – You really brought a lot to the conversation about Justin Fields today. Um, That was the overwhelming topic of this show yesterday and Mm. Get Up and so many of the other shows. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, the way the way you perceived it was very different than I think the way a lot of other people did.
3: The press conference, you yeah. mean? The, the quote about coaching? Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's important to listen to everything he said. And I think we were we were kind of given a window into how he's thinking, right? And they, he's thinking too much in the games. He's too robotic. Well, why is that? And his first answer is coaching. But he says. He immediately says, Yeah, they're doing a good job of, they're doing their job, giving me everything I need to, to, to know about, to think about in a game. I think he's at the point where he's trying to figure out, like, at what point that needs to stop and, and have his instincts take over. Because I mean, you're looking at four and five seconds in the pocket and then taking a sack, that, that's on him, right? I mean, like, that, he's got to throw it away or take off and run or throw it to somebody who's open, of which there were guys on some of those plays. So I think he recognizes that. He is, it's, it, they're still doing a project. They still are putting it together with him and the offense. And, it, you know, it, it's possible it doesn't work. At some point, like, they may come to a point where they say, this isn't working. And I think they all recognize that. But right now, what we're getting this week is a look into his thought process and what's going through his mind during the week and during the game. And he's trying to figure out how to get it to match up. Mike T. Yeah,
4: I agree. When you do the autopsy, to me, what's clear is he he's not having fun and he has no confidence in the plan. He's right. going into the stadium thinking, like, all right, I got to paint by numbers, and you need some of that. You you need rules, you need progressions, but you also have to be able to make plays and play to his incredible athleticism. And clearly, that is not happening. And I put that on the coaching staff because you have to give your players knowing that they're young, they're still going through this process of evolving. Have him have success early, make a couple big plays. Maybe it's with his legs. That's going to open up everything else. And it's
2: clear that the tension. And the lack of success is impacting everybody. All right. Coming up next, we will uh, dive into what will be the biggest game of the weekend by far. And a one we haven't even mentioned yet. Graziano and Tannenbaum, the offices of this law firm are now closed, at least for the weekend. Thank you both very much. I appreciate you being here. Back in a moment, we are rolling on on a football Friday on ESPN Radio eligible items only exclusions apply for the ones who get it done Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer call clickranger.com or just stop by
5: this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors i do you do we all do
1: Greeny,
2: the podcast. All right, Greeny with you on a full-scale football Friday presented by Progressive Insurance. Always fascinating NFL games on Sunday, but this might be the best Saturday slate that we will get all year long. And in 30 seconds, we'll get in Jesse Palmer, who's doing the Dion game, as they are now known, the Colorado-Oregon game. We'll get him in here for his thoughts on that game and the rest. We've got the hashtag crew around us. Tomorrow, 3.30 Eastern on ABC, Colorado at Oregon. Deion Sanders, the overwhelming story of the college football season. One of the great stories we've seen in recent college football memory. With by far his biggest test yet, there were three touchdown underdog at Oregon. Does he have a real chance of pulling off an upset? Let's ask the man who will be calling the game for you on ABC. It's been a long time since we've said hello to our buddy Jesse Palmer. How have you been, Jesse? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Greeny? Well, I'm, I'm great, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I find the previews for The Golden Bachelor completely compelling, perhaps because I've now reached that age. But one way or another, <laughs> every time that thing comes on, I, I'm, fa- I'm absolutely fascinated. That show will debut in two weeks. I know it's not what we're here to talk about, but I mean this sincerely. I, I, I'm not really necessarily a Bachelor person. I'm actually fascinated by that one.
6: Gary's fantastic. He really is a legend, and we're all really excited for his journey to start in a couple of weeks. You know, you know, uh, Greeny. Gary is a massive Iowa Hawkeyes fan.
2: Exactly. So
6: every week he gets all fired up for the games. and he's got a big one, you were just mentioning all the great games in college football this weekend. Their matchup with Penn State is massive. So, so Iowa and Gary and the Golden Bachelor. He's got his eyes into the college football world this
2: weekend as well. Very good. I know that's not what they want me to talk to you about, but I can't stop watching those. <laughs> Every time those promos come on, I can't I can't get enough of it. Anyway, okay. So let's get to this. So I asked Greg McElroy, what will it mean if somehow Colorado wins this game tomorrow and he says it will mean that Deion Sanders and his team just had the greatest month in football history. It, it, it would be a month unlike anything we've ever seen on any level of football. And I don't think that's necessarily taking it too far. How would you describe what it is like and, and what is at stake tomorrow as Colorado goes to play at number 10 Oregon?
6: It's interesting. I just think this game already by itself, forgetting who's coaching on the sidelines, already has so many great storylines. I mean, it's two undefeated teams in what appears to be a loaded Pac-12 conference. you got two Heisman candidates, a quarterback on each team. But really, you mentioned it at the beginning, It's the Dion game. It's it's the it's the prime effect and why everybody has their eyes on this game. I mean, a guy who is just transcending sports. Whether you're a college football fan or not, or a sports fan or not, people tune in to see what they're able to do. And up to this point, it's been a storybook month, no doubt about it. They're only the fourth team ever to lose 11 games last year and start the season three and zero. And listen. Tom's been a master motivator up to this point. He's always able to get his team hyped up and ready to go. Being a 21 or whatever it is, point underdog for this one and not having their most dynamic playmaker in Travis Hunter um, will be fuel for them to go into Austin Stadium and try to shock the world once again. You know, the big question to me is just how much does this team have left in the tank? After being in the spotlight for the first three weeks of the season, their win against Colorado was so physical and emotionally draining you know can they pull this up but if they were to do that it's just to me it's just another chapter in everything that prime's been able to do in boulder early this year and, and for all those that still aren't believing after three weeks you know this is a big big statement for what he's he
2: done uh, jesse palmer and my buddy joe Tess will have the game for you tomorrow afternoon on abc uh, you are of course were a quarterback how good is the quarterback of colorado
6: Bonex is really, oh, sorry, Shadura is really good. Yeah, Shadura is who I mean, yeah. Yeah, when I watch him, he's so fundamentally sound. I mean, he's always in a great position to throw the football and be accurate. There's a lot of people that were were wondering how it would translate from the FCS level to this. He's been really, really good. His comp to me in the NFL is Geno Smith in terms of the way he looks throwing the ball. He's not a dynamic runner, but he does have the ability to extend plays. I've been super impressed because we've got to remember he's learning an entirely new system, and Sean Lewis, is offensive coordinator. There have been a lot of quarterbacks this year in college football that have entered the transfer portal, guys who have had success in their previous stops that haven't had the same success that Shadour is having this year. And Greeny, he's not playing behind a very good offensive line.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: He's been sacked 15 times. Shador's being pressured on 44% of his drops, and he's still putting up Heisman Trophy numbers. There are draft pundits out there that have him as the number five overall prospect, and people are saying, well, if he comes back next year, he'll be the first pick. So what Shadur has done through three games, Has been remarkable. He's every bit as good as the hype, and I've been really, really impressed.
2: Yeah, Mel, I think, was the one, uh, at least one of the ones, who said he would have him number five right now. Jesse Palmer brought to you by Bear. Bear is awesome. Let us tell you why. This Saturday, let the Home Depot help you get projects done right with Bear Premium Plus interior paint. Let me get a quick take from you on two other games while I have you. Notre Dame-Ohio State tomorrow night, obviously, is a monster game. The Irish are home. Heather told us this morning on Get Up, she thinks the Irish need it more for their playoff chances. How do you see that game, Jesse?
6: Yeah, it's like, I mean, listen, Sam Hartman's been unbelievable. Uh, You talk about impact transfers throughout the country. I mean, arguably none as impactful as him and the season he's had. You know, the passing game and explosive plays in the passing game have just been something... That's been the missing ingredient, I think, for Notre Dame in recent years, for many years, with respect to them being a legitimate college football playoff contender. But now they're playing an Ohio State front that has a lot of first-round talent on that defensive line. And so can Sam Hartman handle the pass rush? will be able to be accurate. I think that's a big, big factor in that game this weekend.
2: And then we got Bama home against Ole Miss in a game a lot of people are telling me they think Ole Miss is going to win Does it feel, well, I I shouldn't even make that a question. It feels, from where I'm sitting, like the dynasty that Nick Saban has put together is really teetering right now. How do you see it?
6: It, To me, it it all comes down to Jalen Norell, a quarterback, who's going to go back to being the starter in this game. And, you know, part of that dynasty and the greatness, I think, of Saban throughout the years has been just the level of consistency at the quarterback position. Year after year, when you go back to Jalen Hurts or Tua, for Mac Jones, for Bryce Young. I mean, that's a massive part of being able to sustain that level of play year in, year out. And obviously, Alabama hasn't had it early this season. Jalen Milroe is an exceptional talent. His ability to run the football, he's got a very live arm, and when he's looked good throwing it this year, he's looked really good. But against Texas, there's some questionable decisions and some critical errors that cost them. If he's able to limit those, their defense is good enough I think, to keep them in the game and keep it close. But really, not just this game, Greeny, but the season really now, you get the feeling a lot of that is on Jalen Miller and what he's going to be able to do, particularly when he's thrown.
2: Jesse, will be looking forward to watching it tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for jumping in here. Say hello to Tess, and we'll see you tomorrow.
6: I'll say hi to Gary, our golden bachelor as well. Oh, Thank yes.
2: You, that's my guy. I'm telling you. That's Jesse Palmer with us again. 3.30 Eastern tomorrow on ABC. Let me bring Hembo into this conversation. I don't know if it's my age, but for those of you who haven't seen it, the promos are everywhere. They run them on ESPN constantly, which I think is why I've been seeing them so much. But, you know, they do the show The Bachelor where you have, like, a young guy and then a bunch of women vie to become his, uh, you know, whatever it is. Or, or And then the reverse, The Bachelorette. And so now they got the Golden Bachelor so he's a dude he's older he looks way older than me. They say he's 71. 71, and, and they have a bunch of women, I guess, who are about that age vying for him. And for whatever reason, I can't get enough of these promos. I'm going to watch that show.
0: Interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, um, Jesse just said he's a big Iowa, Jerry's a big, Gary's a big Iowa football fan. Mm-hmm. You have to be 71 years old to enjoy watching that team play, <laughs> right? Yes. Does he's, he
2: not? Uh, 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 well, now that he's on that show, he scores more often than the team does. <laughs> By That's a long for shot. Sure. They have the most uninteresting offense in the history of college sports you want to stay on the co- I know you have a bunch of college stuff we had a few other things planned here but do you want to dive in with some of your numbers since we just did that with I, Jesse
0: I do but before we do that I want to ask you a question that I think is fascinating and maybe this makes me a, a bad corporate citizen I don't know but Jesse's calling the uh, Colorado Oregon game as you said that's going that's at three thirty, the exact same time as Bama and Ole Miss is on CBS we got the ABC game they got the CBS game we, su- we said last week that Colorado, Colorado State was the fifth highest rating ESPN had ever had in a college football game. It'll be, it'll be fascinating for me to see the Dion effect going head-to-head in the same window against Nick Saban in Alabama. Is Dion Sanders' celebrity already so great that that game will outrate a massive SEC game. Like that would have been a game. Otherwise, that would be one of the biggest rated games of the whole season. Ole Miss, Alabama. That's a really fascinating, I think snapshot or look into just how much Deion Sanders has made hay this season. That's, that's a good point because Nick Saban has been the dominant figure
2: in that sport for a generation. And Dion is the person who seems really here to take that from him. Kirby smart has won the last two championships but he hasn't become the face of college football. Nick Saban remains the face of college football because of the for- a because of all that he's accomplished, but also the force of his personality, and, and he just has that thing about him. Uh, I don't mean this to, to diminish Kirby Smart, but he, he doesn't have that star quality about him. He's a great coach, and obviously they're winning like crazy and putting players in the pros, and he could wind up having the dominant program. But Dion is a guy who has that star power both games have everything in the world at stake. If you're asking me, I mean, the beauty for me is that I don't have to choose between them. That This is exactly why it's nice to go back and forth between games. Or if you have multiple screens, you can watch them both at the same time. If you're asking me which one I think is going to rate higher, I would tell you it depends on if Colorado is in the game. Like, I don't know nearly enough about these programs to be giving you this opinion in a meaningful way. I'm telling you, the people I talk to who really know college football think Colorado is going to get blown out. Now, those same people thought the same thing when they played TCU. And obviously, they couldn't have been more wrong. So is it possible that Deion's team is right there in the fourth quarter with a chance to win? Yes. If that happens, I think that game will rate higher. If... That game is three touchdowns in the second quarter. Obviously, all bets are off. I
0: think you're probably right. Game flow notwithstanding, though, for 9 million people to have watched Colorado State, Colorado, at 10.20 on a Saturday night on cable is insane. Yeah, it like, is. Even like, those of us who work in this business. like It's still a staggering, couldn't believe it when I saw it. Here's what I'll say to you about that. I'm glad you brought this up because it's an interesting thought.
2: The most rare thing that an athlete can do, or or I shouldn't say athlete, because in this case, he's not doing it as an athlete. The most um, uncommon trait of a person in sports is when they attract the interest of people who don't otherwise care about sports. Michael Jordan made people watch basketball who would never otherwise have watched basketball. Tiger Woods may be the best example of this. My wife could not have cared less, and to this day, couldn't care less about golf. But if he was playing, she was interested. I, I've, I've made this um, point before. She could walk in the door and, and, and say, oh, what are you watching? And I could say, oh, you wouldn't believe it. Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and John Rahm are in a three-way playoff, and it's been going on for 17 holes, and the winner wins $15 million, and it's the most epic day in golf history. And she would say, oh, great, and go on about her day. And if she walked in and said, what are you watching? And I said, Tiger's playing, and he has a chance to win. She might sit down and watch, and maybe that's the difference. That college football fans are fascinated by Nick Saban, but I don't know that people who don't otherwise care about college football care about Nick Saban. I think they do care about Dion.
0: So here's my follow-up, then, because I think it's a great comparison, the Dion to Tiger. Ninety-nine percent of those people tuning in were rooting for Tiger. Do you get the sense that ninety-nine percent of people are rooting for Dion in Colorado, or? Do you get the sense that he's becoming more of a a polarizing figure and people either root for him or against him? But either way, you have an opinion. I don't know. The sense I get is that people
2: think it's polarizing. I don't know anyone who's not rooting for him. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm rooting for him. And I've made no secret of the fact that my very limited interactions with Deion Sanders in my life have not been that good. He's not someone that I would have thought I was otherwise... Um, inclined to root for i, I don 't dislike him, but my my experiences with him have not been memorable or great um, but i 'm completely sucked into what he 's doing, and I love it. I, look college football has been the worst good old boys network of all time. I mean, imagine this for a hundred and something years. The fat cats were getting rich, and everyone else was getting nothing. The people doing all the work were literally getting nothing. And it feels like this is a full ushering in, unapologetically, unmistakably, and I think forevermore, of a new era of college football. It will never be what it was anymore. And many people, including me, embrace that. This is what it should have been all along. And I think this is the beginning of a change. I saw someone call Deion Sanders the beginning of college football 3.0, and I think that's
0: right. And there could be no greater juxtaposition of that than Dion and Saban on in the same window on network TV. If I'm going to first guess my own question, I would say that if the Oregon-Colorado game is tight in the second half, that that game will outrate the SEC game by a long shot. I think Ole Miss, Alabama, will have traditional fans in the Southeastern – portion of this country gripped but there's such a like Deion sanders has cast such a wider net and if that game is good i think the national interest will be there uh by a considerable margin.
2: Yeah, you could be right i, I don't know i hadn't thought about it it's a good point that you bring up it's, it's not something i had given any prior thought to the other thing that i i do think is worth getting into bill belichick is 0-2 nick saban's on the ropes are we seeing the end here the beginning of the end, anyway, of the two most successful coaches, not only of their own eras in their sport, but certainly on the, on the team photo of the two most successful coaches in football history. Is that what we're seeing?
0: Yeah, and I'm very curious to see who outlasts who. I, I have more confidence in Saban because of the infrastructure there. You know, We haven't seen the Belichick without Brady thing work. We've seen Nick Saban win championships with any number of quarterbacks and any number of rosters. But I think that you're probably right. I'm not going to be the person that writes Nick Saban's obituary, but I think it's probably time that we at least start to f- frame how we're going to write bills. Because that, I am exceedingly, um, I should say this, I'm pretty confident that he will never have the same measure of success. And if it's his goal to pass down Shula to, to be the winningest coach of all time, it's probably going to take longer than ownership in New England wants him to stick around.
2: Well, that, that will become interesting. I, I think both of them face... Watershed games this weekend. I think if the Patriots lose this weekend, their season is done. If Alabama loses to all miss tomorrow, their season is done. All right, we, we are just getting rolling here. I've got unsolicited advice for a man who is just getting mercilessly pounded today, and in fairness, probably deserves it. That's coming up next. greenie presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio.
3: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E.
2: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. So much football to get into on this day. But before we do anything else, you've heard from me, hashtag Greeny. You've heard from hashtag Hembo. You've not heard from hashtag Bubba or hashtag Cam. What did you guys tell me the topic bar was on first take as we were talking a moment ago?
4: Yeah, it was uh, who looked worse last night, the Giants or Stephen A throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium?
2: Stephen A threw out a pitch that landed... Oh, well, so the the mound is 60 feet, six inches, right? So that one probably went, what, about 45 feet? 40, I'd say like 40-something. Would you say, Hambo, something like that? Something like that. Something like three-quarters of the way, and he explained himself on
5: yes. I was disgusted with myself, man. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I was warming up down there. I was throwing strikes from 60 feet away, and I got on that mound. And it looked like it was a mile away. I said, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I said, what the hell am I doing here? And, you know, it just, uh, I mean, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. It was a choke job. I could do better than that. It was a choke job. Steven, they choked a little bit. Yeah, I just did. It, it was straight, but damn it, I
2: could do better than that. So I can tell you exactly what he did wrong. And Hembo knows this better than anyone because you were a baseball What position did you play? I played second base in college. Second base in college. And so... You know, but at some point in your life, you've pitched. Oh, sure. You know, through high school, like everyone. Been on a mound Mm -hmm. and pitched. So, I mean, I never played organized baseball of any kind. But what I discovered, Mike and I had the great privilege of throwing out the first pitch at Wrigley Field a couple of times. We did it once in Pittsburgh, and we did it once in Cleveland. And you might remember, this became a thing on Mike and Mike, that Gola kept throwing the ball into the ground. And the reason was... Because if you've never pitched, Mike was obviously a world-class athlete. It's not that he can't throw a baseball 60 feet. It is that if you've never stood on the top of a mound and tried to throw an actual pitch, you don't know that your first step is straight down. It's literally like stepping, if you're on a, a staircase, and you're just taking a step straight down. And so what happens is the trajectory of your throw just goes straight down. So in order to throw a pitch while you're going down, you don't see it on television when you watch a baseball game, but they're actually throwing the ball up. The ball is going up when it leaves their hands, not straight. If you throw it straight, it's going to wind up going down. And that's what Stephen A. did, and that's what Mike was always doing. I didn't have this problem because I didn't try to throw a pitch. I literally just tossed it because— I mean, I know I can throw a ball from here to there. So I didn't try and make it look like a pitch. I was just terrified of doing what Stephen A did. And so I just chucked it over there. And I wish he had asked me because I would have told him, don't try and throw a pitch. Once you take that big step forward, you go, everyone wants to get on that mound and like do the wind up and take that big step forward, you know, and throw the pitch. And that, that is where you get yourself
0: in trouble. So. For the times that you threw the first pitch, did you always climb the mound or did you throw it in front of home plate? No, I threw front?
2: it on the mound. S-
0: 60 feet, 6 From inches? From the
2: top of the mound, yes.
0: Every time? Every time.
2: Okay, I think we did it four times total. Um, I, th- I think it was twice in Chicago. I, th- I think we sung Take Me Out to the Ball Game three times, but I think we only threw the pitches twice. And then we did it once in Cleveland for sure and once in Pittsburgh. And were you four for four? Yeah, now, they, weren't all, they didn't all look great. I mean, one of them was so far, in, well, either inside or outside, depending on which side of the plate the batter would have been in. I mean, I probably missed, I, I probably missed the plate by a good three feet. But they never hit the ground. Never. So, so that's at least something. No, it's not something. It's everything. Well, it's not everything. All they tell you when you get to do this is whatever you do, don't bounce it. It doesn't matter. You're way better off throwing it over the catcher's head and having it go to the backstop. Way better off than bouncing it. I don't bouncing know about It that. is. The, it is uh, Bubba. You, you think bouncing 15, it is the Stephen cardinal A's sin. A's is better than 50 cents. Right. Steve, yeah, Stephen A's is better. Well, well 50, 50 cents
1: Well, it was essentially
2: over. The, it went over the catcher's head no to the but left.
1: Stephen, uh, b- Stephen uh, A's is not that bad.
2: 50 cents looks like someone who has literally never thrown a baseball in <laughs> his agree. life. And it might be. Like I, I don't know how you grow up. In the world, and have never picked up a baseball know, yeah. and thrown it. He was busy rhyming, uh, but, but he he never. That was terrible. What would, what have been the worst ones? Like what are the other well, legends? Snoop Dog.
1: Yeah, Snoop Dogg. Gary from Howard Stern had a terrible. The one. Cincinnati
0: mayor is a Oh legendary. yeah, that's
1: a good one. Yeah, he, he had really, a bad he week. Really
0: yanked it. Yeah.
1: Stevens was But most like that of the bad, the bad ones are not bound. The, all the bad ones we're referring to are ones that go completely sideways. Right. Uh-huh. No one refers to a bad one generally as one that's a one hopper. Yeah. That's perfectly straight. The
0: catcher caught the ball yeah, that Stephen I mean,
1: A. threw. Could Stevens have been better? Absolutely. Should he be disappointed? Yes. But for people to compare it to 50 cents is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> that's what Ryan Clark said. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I'm I'm with that. You have any thoughts on this? All All right. Then I got to bring in hashtag Bubba because he's a sad man today. You know, every team goes through their trauma. Every team goes through their adversity. We've had three terrible injuries. Boom, 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 right off the start of this NFL season. Week one, the Jets lose Aaron Rodgers. Week two, the Browns, in very unsightly fashion, lose Nick Chubb. And now before they even get to play their third game, the Cowboys Lose Trayvon Diggs to a torn ACL, suffered in practice. And while I guess it doesn't really make it any worse that it happened in practice, the result is the result. It somehow feels worse that it happened in practice, that it happened in a game. Bubba, who is wearing his Dak jersey today and is the crazy Cowboy fan on our group what is your reaction to the Diggs injury?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. for whatever reason, it does just feel somehow worse in practice. I don't know what it is, but there is just something worse about happening in practice. But I kind of agree with what Tannenbaum was saying earlier. While it is incredibly disappointing and frustrating, I don't think it's going to be catastrophic. I think it's going to be a big loss, but they do have some depth in, in the in the backfield, so I think that'll help. And, the, the, you know, just Parsons, the other guys, are just going to have to step up. And I think with, you know, Dan, they have enough people on the defensive side that can – still be solid now he's obviously a great ball hawk he's great so many interceptions he he's gonna be a big loss but I think they can overcome it and like Mike T said I think it's just not gonna be catastrophic but they're gonna miss him for sure
0: I think Bubba's half glass full take is is accurate but I think you could definitely talk yourself into this being a much bigger deal because if you had asked Mike McCarthy entering practice yesterday someone can get injured today who don't you want to get injured he'd probably be third or fourth on your list after Dak Prescott and after Micah Parsons. I think you could argue between he or C.D. Lamb in terms of the importance on the team. But the reason, Bubba, why I think this might be a bigger deal than you're saying is because of the way that Trayvon Diggs allows you to play defense. Since Dan Quinn got there, the Cowboys have played uh, man coverage more frequently than any team in the NFL, in part because he's so incredibly good at that. So the idea that the depth that you have being plug-and-play, I'm going to have to see that first. Sure. And when you're going up against San Francisco and Philly, two teams that have outstanding weapons on the outside, it's not going to affect you know the, the, their odds to win the Super Bowl, but it could, in the margins, affect those individual games, which could obviously swing things in a big way.
2: They will play San Francisco two weeks from Sunday on the road, and of course they will play the Eagles still twice this season. I, I am a disciple of the island of Rivas. My, my belief... Is that a shutdown corner is the most valuable thing you can have on a defense. I know everyone talks about the pass rusher, and Micah Parsons is more than that. Like, M- Micah Parsons is the best defensive player. To me, he's a, a uniquely great player. But I'd rather have a shutdown corner than a great pass rushing defensive end because you can, if you're an offense, you can chip that guy, you can do things about him. I'm, I'm not saying he isn't a dominant player. But I believe what you just said to be true. When you have the shutdown corner that enables you to blitz, it enables you to do so many things. If you're gonna leave Trayvon Diggs out there on an island with AJ Brown or with Brandon Ayuk or whoever it might be and feel good about yourself, that makes all that's what Revis did. And that's what made those jet defenses so good. I, I think this is a terrible loss.
0: Oh, no doubt. If you're if between comparable players, I think corner is the second most important position in the NFL right now. Behind quarterback. It's such a pass-happy environment. And over the last three years, the Cowboys have allowed 48 touchdown passes against 47 interceptions. That is crazy production in this kind of scoring environment. Yeah, so I, I think it's a
2: significant blow. It doesn't mean that their Super Bowl hopes are done, but I think it hurts them a lot. We'll be right back.
1: Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN radio or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on get up weekday mornings at eight on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.